0: and you can be passionate about something, but it's if you can find your mission in it, which is something that serves other people, how are you in service? And the more people you can be in service to, and the deeper you can service them, the better you can service them, the more successful your business will be. Mm -hmm. So find your mission,
1: not your passion. Andy Tingle began her career on Wall Street, where she quickly learned that being part of the fast-paced work culture of New York City's epicenter only led her to late nights and eating habits that worsened her acne and overall health. She decided to take matters into her own hands by learning about her own health struggles and testing solutions, eventually sparking the idea for Saqqara Life, which she launched with her longtime best friend Danielle. Whitney and Danielle spent a few years developing their offering and their goals, then raised money in 2015 to open their own kitchen and have now reached over $150 million in sales. You're about to hear how Saqqara life has evolved over time, why Whitney believes in being on a mission in business and how she and Danielle make their friendship translate into the best business partnership. Coming up, why Whitney says you have to believe in the business that you're building. Whitney's advice for entrepreneurs in the early stages of business. Whitney shares her take on success and how she incorporates gratitude into everything Sakara Life does. And finally, how continually challenging yourself can create an exciting and purposeful entreprenista journey. in the making, I still remember, oh my gosh, what year was this Courtney? 2012, 2012, when we were first starting social fly and you were starting Sakara, and yeah. we were all sitting at Soho house together talking about our businesses. And so much has evolved and changed since that time. And here we are now almost 10 plus years later. And I cannot wait to hear your full entrepreneurista journey and story and share all of your learning lessons with our community. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah,
0: so happy to be here and so happy to be with you both after all of these years and everything we've all been through building these businesses from those days when it was, they were just teeny tiny little baby businesses to where they are today. It's incredible. And I'm so proud of you both. And yeah, excited to be here today.
2: And we're so proud of you and Danielle, and we actually haven't connected really in the last few years. So there's so many things I just want updates on, but for everyone listening, take us back to the early days. Uh, what were you doing before starting Sakara, and why did you start it?
0: You know, I didn't do all that much prior to Sakara. We <laughs> started Sakara pretty young, 24, 25 years old, somewhere in there. So only had a couple of years of experience out of school but I thought I wanted to have a career on Wall Street. So after college, I got an internship and started my career at Merrill Lynch. And you know, I thought I wanted to be like Susie Orman. I used to watch her back in the day when yes. she would make her appearances <laughs> on Oprah and watch her show late at night with my mom where she would tell people if they could afford to buy a boat or a new house or a pair of Christian Louboutin shoes. And I thought she was a woman in charge of her money. She didn't need any man to tell her how she could spend it. And, you know, she was just really standing in her power. And I thought that was really cool and really amazing and something that I wanted to emulate. So went to New York and started my career there. Interesting time, as you both know, because it was also right before the Great Recession. And a crazy time to be starting a career in finance. But for me, it was enough to get a feel for what that lifestyle is like, what people working in fast paced, high pressure jobs, big corporate business looks like. And it was rushing from here to there, having five minutes to grab something to eat for lunch, grabbing what was convenient, uh, not always what was healthy. Lunch and learns with teams where we had big platters of fettuccine Alfredo catered in and big meaty sandwiches with cheese dripping down them. And food was part of the culture where, you know, it was like free pizza Fridays and a way to motivate people to stay working and stay going. But it was always really not healthy foods that we were being fed on a regular basis. And all of that, plus the drinking culture. So after work, we would go down to PJ Clark's, you know, at six o'clock and it was still, you were basically still on the clock. This was not, you were done with work. This was part of your job In, in my mind. That's how I viewed it. As you couldn't just leave and go home. You had to participate in the after work hours, which often revolved around drinking. And all of that really started to catch up with me very quickly, just not feeling good in my body, putting on a quick extra 15 pounds and the cystic acne that I had been struggling with since preteen years, really coming to an all-time worst, just big red, painful cysts all over my face. And that was really the, the kicker for me of, okay, I need to figure this out. I need to take control of my health, control of my life. And what I thought that meant at the time was okay, I'll stop drinking. I'll try to order something healthier when I go to these places. And I'm going to go see every dermatologist and healer in town, and somebody's going to fix my face. And I went around to all of the fancy dermatologists that we would read about in the glossy magazines. And one by one, they just wanted to give me another prescription for a mega round of antibiotics or another prescription for Accutane, which I had already done just about everything you could name. I'd ordered all of the proactives. I'd done everything off of the infomercials. I had done hormone pills, birth control, all of the different things, and none of it had worked. And so, you know, just going to these doctors again, one by one, and then saying, well, this is your only solution. You got to do it again. uh, It just, is didn't resonate with me. And it was this little voice that was like, Hey, don't do that. Hey, that's not the answer that turned into this voice screaming at me. Like, don't do it. It's not the answer. Go inside, figure out what is the root cause what's going on inside of your body that is creating these symptoms on your face. So in that moment decided, all right, that was my big aha moment, you know, of like enough of all of these, things that didn't work for me, enough of looking for the solution outside time to turn inward, go back to my Sedona roots and take my health into my own hands.
1: So what did you do next? How did you ultimately get to the the root cause and, and what was it? So it took a lot of
0: searching, a lot of testing and learning and studying, um, Danielle, who you both know as well, my business partner and best friend from childhood, She was on her own health journey. She had an unhealthy relationship to her body and to food, you know, had been through different disordered eating patterns and just had been a yo-yo dieter, trying everything out there. And she finally had her aha moment around the same time that I had mine. uh, After going on a 21 day retreat that started with a seven day water fast, coming back with pneumonia and gut disorders and just really in an unhealthy place and we came together and we decided we need to figure this out for ourselves um so she was studying medicine she was interning at st luke's hospital with an amazing cardiologist and i'd say similarly to how i saw what was going on in this corporate world and what that lifestyle looked like she was seeing what was going on in you know a big hospital working the free clinic seeing people coming in with late stage lifestyle diseases and how the entire system was set up around disease control essentially around the illness of the person rather than the wellness of the person yep so you know that really encouraged her to want to think about who's getting to people before they're sick before they're at this point where they need medications and surgeries who's helping people if it's a chronic condition who's helping them with their chronic day-to-day support and changing that lifestyle nobody was talking about what are you eating how are you exercise how are you managing your stress and so she switched her path to study nutrition instead of medicine and we put together what we're learning you know what she was learning in school with what we had learned growing up in Sedona some of these more Ancient wisdom modalities, which there was actually a lot of overlap with what modern science says today. It's kind of proving out what a lot of these ancient traditions have known for thousands of years. And we put it together basically just recipes and meals for ourselves. But once we saw the transformation in ourselves and in each other, we knew this was much bigger than us and people you know how we started, people started asking us like, Hey, you guys look different. Can you just make, you know, a little bit of that for us. And we were young and broke, and we needed the money. And so we're like, Okay, fine, we'll cook an extra portion for you. And then that person would tell their friends, Hey, this fixed my XYZ problems, you should try this. And then those people would try it. And so we're making more meals and more meals and we're like, wow, all of these people are having their own individual transformations. Their problems are so different than our problems, but really this is helping everybody by getting down to the core basic needs around nutrition and giving your body the right materials to function at its best. So we just started by literally cooking in our own kitchens, delivering it ourselves often on bicycle doing every single job in the company. We were the client services people. We were the accountants, the lawyers, the tech team, the cooks, everything. And it was really, really hard. And I think that being naive and young and not knowing just how difficult business is was a blessing because
2: it allowed us to get through those hard times. Yeah. And get us to where we are today. Yeah, I've been following your journey over the years uh, and it's been so inspiring, especially knowing you during those early days. I remember because we started around the same time, mm-hmm. but Stephanie, I started our company when I was at American Express and I had already known you at the time. I was going to work. It was really early. And I remember going up the escalator and seeing you and Danielle personally there to hand deliver things or deliver food. Yeah. Uh, and I actually still remember that, but I couldn't say hi to you. Cause I was going up the escalator. You guys were trying to figure out where to go. You looked confused.
0: <laughs> I was kind of mortified, like showing up because American express shares a building with Merrill Lynch. And I was like, I can't show up to my old job here. Looking like this, it was a day that the delivery guys hadn't shown up. You know, we'd hire people off of Craigslist. And when they didn't show up, that meant that we would have to carry, bags. We just like call taxis or hop on a bike. And yeah, I I was so embarrassed of like showing up after an entire night of cooking, looking terrible, carrying all these bags all over us. So I would, I would send Danielle into that building and be like, you, I can't do that. You go in there, (laughs) but you know, we call it putting on the chicken suit. You know, those like a restaurant or wherever will have somebody in the chicken suit handing out flyers outside and they look ridiculous, but it's part of what needs to get done in order to get people inside. And, uh, that's what we have to do. It's like getting uncomfortable, being okay with doing embarrassing
2: things or something that you feel shy to do in order to build. And you bootstrapped your business for a while. At what point in time did you decide you needed to raise money?
0: So, we bootstrapped the business up to over $2 million in revenue before taking on any outside capital. And that was, it was hard. It was really hard not having any type of cushion, but it forced us to focus on having really great business unit economics, making sure that the fundamentals of the business work. And then we decided to raise money in 2015 in order to open up our own kitchen. We'd been renting kitchen space, you know, here and there. And that was challenging because for a number of different reasons in one kitchen, it was set up where we had a locker and we had certain days that we could come in and use a space. It was an eight-hour shift, and we'd arrive, and it would be like the clock is ticking, like a gun goes off, boom, and you just have to run and grab all the things out of your locker, unpack your equipment, your knives, your blenders, all these things, and get going and make the food, cook it, package it, and get it into, we were delivering in bags at the time, and get it all ready to go, all in this eight-hour shift. And it was madness because then we were also competing with people for the oven space and, you know, some of these communal areas that it was just crazy. It sounds like one of the cooking shows. <laughs> yeah, no, we were on one and of those chopped, cooking shows <laughs> when you're on chopped. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's day. what it felt like every single day. <laughs> we were on a- Luckily there were no cameras around to watch us at that time, but you know, and then just lots, lots of crazy stories I could tell you about being in shared kitchen spaces. But finally, we were like, we need to have our own space. And so we found a kitchen space in Brooklyn. Um, It was Blue Apron's old kitchen space, actually. And we thought it was huge, way too big for us. And it was really scary to be moving into a space that was set so big. But you know, you have to believe in the business that you're building, you have to believe that you'll get there. And we were able to fill up the space and utilize it way faster than we were expecting. But in order to afford it, and in order to afford equipment and team and everything, we raised money in 2015 to do that.
1: How much did you raise in your first round and any tips or learning lessons you can share about that process in terms of, you know, figuring out how much money you need in that first round and, you know, just take us through like the pitching process and what worked for you, what didn't work for you. Cause I know a lot of our entrepreneurs are thinking about raising money and many are raising money right now.
0: I'd say if you can start to take it from this big idea of, you know, I want to raise $5 $5 million, which we raised 4.8 million and taking it from being this big kind of esoteric thing to breaking it down. of How are you going to spend it? Looking at even details on this is how much rent is going to cost. This is how many people I need. This is the type of jobs these people are going to do. You know, this is how much overhead is going to cost with power and water and all of those types of things, just start to build out your business model. And that will help you to figure out how much money you think you're going to need. And then you can also start to quantify, well, with this, how much money is this going to be able to return? So looking at, you know, if you've already started doing Facebook ads, and these types of things, what's your CAC? How much money do you need to put into marketing, um, at that CAC to get out? How many different, how many clients, and then you can calculate the lifetime value of that client. How much are they going to spend with you? And in what amount of time? Um, and those are some of the metrics that you want to be working toward. And those are going to be some of the metrics that investors look at, you know, your, the cost it takes to acquire a client. How long do they stay with you for? How much do they spend with you? What's their average order value, their AOV. So, you know, in their first purchase, how much do they spend in their subsequent purchases, how much do they spend and how long do they stick around? And that can start to give you an idea of how much money to put into marketing, how much money you need for that. And then, you know, some of it is science and some of it is art and going with your gut and your instinct as well, but yeah the investor process is interesting you know there definitely is a bias when it comes to women raising money I will just say that I know that it's said but it's actually true Yep. I think things are starting to change but very slowly and I think you know biggest advice if you're raising money is to you know put on that chicken suit it's Go and talk to everybody, reach out to people, reach out to VCs over email, even if they don't know you, join some networking groups, ask people, tell people that you're, what you're looking for, what you're doing, what you're looking for, and just start to get the word out there and ask people for help. And and those people can introduce you to other people. And it's probably three people down the chain of introductions to somebody who will actually make a difference and make an impact Uh, so it's going to take time and it's going to take effort but if you want it enough and you believe in yourself enough and you believe in your business enough then you'll make it happen because nothing is going to stand in your way and if you can do that that's great because you're going to need that type of energy and effort over and over and over again. Your business is always gonna ask you, how much do you want it? Do you actually wanna be here? And uh, you have to continue to show up for it and say, yes, I believe in this. And that is what's gonna lead you to success.
2: We all know business is really tough. What keeps you going on those really, really tough days? How do you get through it?
0: I think it's having a mission that we didn't start the business because we had a passion for nutrition or the wellness space. I mean, wellness was not really a thing 10 years ago as it is today. We helped bring wellness into the world, I would say, as a more kind of trendy thing. But it was really about this mission that we felt like we had information that was important for the world to hear and that could change lives and change the future of our society and the planet and so it is that mission that keeps us going every day and i mean there were days when we were like what the are we doing like we're trying to make fresh meals and deliver them and ship food through the mail like what are we doing (laughs) and you know, just on those days when it's so hard and you, you worked so hard and you're physically in pain because it's a kitchen business and there's literal blood, sweat, and tears. And then we'd get in this email from somebody, you know, I remember this is probably the first time when I felt that way, where I was like, Danielle, we, we, this is it. Like, we got to do something else. I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, We were in a taxi and I was really upset, just like at my wit's end. And then we got in an email from a client and he said he had this really rare disease and he had cysts, tumors on his nerve sheaths. And so everything he did was extremely painful. And he had spent years seeing all these different doctors and traveling around the world, trying to find somebody that would cure him. And he had hired personal chefs and done all those things and nothing had worked. And he said, after a month on Sakara, he was able to lift his arms up on his own and be able to feed himself again, that his pain had decreased enough for him to be able to do that and gain some mobility back, um, that he had lost weight, that he had gained more energy and that we were the best food doctors he had ever found. And. I, you know, I just read that and was crying and said, okay, you know, there is no giving up. We have to keep going now. You know, this isn't doing it for ourselves. This isn't a vanity project. We have to do it for him and for, for the people who need us. So it really still is. We, I mean, in every team dashboard meeting we have at Sakara, we read what we call Sakara stories, which are testimonials that people write in to our client services team and share that with the entire company, because it's a big part of what keeps our entire team motivated to keep going, that they get to feel the impact of the work that they do every single day.
1: There's definitely nothing more important and fulfilling in life for sure. And it's so incredible that, again, I just think back to when we first met and you're just starting out and now this, you know, global reach that you have sharing this mission, that is just such an important mission and in, in teaching people about themselves and their body and nutrition and, and what's really important. Because I feel like before, you know, you and Danielle were sharing this message, like I didn't see this anywhere. I learned a lot about what I know now from, you know, reading the content that, that you would both share and that you would share from, you know, Sakara's website and and Instagram. And it's so important because you, you weren't seeing a lot of that messaging in in the mainstream. And there's so many people walking around with chronic health conditions that can be prevented just by looking at what we're putting in our body and on our body. So no, absolutely. And you know, it's,
0: I think going back to what I was, uh, my main point was, there's a difference between your passion and your mission. And you can be passionate about something, but it's if you can find your mission in it, which is something that serves other people, how are you in service? And the more people you can be in service to, and the deeper you can service them, the better you can service them, the more successful your business will be. Mm -hmm.
2: So find your mission, not your passion. That is great advice. And speaking of business success, I remember, and I can't remember when it was, but it was definitely in the last year, reading your Forbes article uh, that you hit 150 million in sales. One, congratulations. That is incredible and amazing. And two, is there a playbook for anyone listening that wants to do what you're doing? And obviously having a mission is very, very important. What, how did you get from zero to 150 million and say it in under a minute now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I think I can say it in one word, team,
2: team. Yeah. All right. So who was your first hire and is that person still with you? How has the team evolved?
0: Let's see. Our first hire was a young woman named Gabby. We hired her really to do customer service, but then ended up having her do so many different things and it was we were doing it all and we needed time to be able to focus on other things you know we couldn't be taking care of our current clients while also going out and trying to find new ones so we brought her on to take care of current clients to write label copy for us to write some blogs you know do all the those different types of things And I remember in hiring her, it was really scary because we weren't even paying ourselves at that time. We are like, how are we going to have enough money to pay this person a salary when we can't even pay ourselves? But again, it was that believing in the business, believing in where we're going, believing in ourselves that we could make it happen. And then having that goal, it was real pressure. We had to hit a sales goal in order to make her salary or else, you know, we couldn't pay her. So that gave us extra motivation to hustle and make it happen. And she is still a close friend and still in our world. We do projects with her every once in a while. She moved to Puerto Rico. And if you're listening, love you, Gabby. Um, (laughs) I've just been in such awe of how she's grown and developed and is an incredible writer and project manager. So. We still have quite a few employees from our very early days, actually people who Gabby hired onto the team and, you know, it's their belief in our mission. It's their institutional knowledge. That's really important to keeping our Sakara culture as we scale, as we hire on more and more people. I think we're at about 300 employees now. Wow. I mean, hiring on a hundred new people in the past year during a pandemic who joined while we're in this somewhat virtual world and they don't have that same experience and closeness of what sakara once was of being in our office in soho and having our different you know parties and events and celebrity clients dropping in and things like that so having people who do remember that and and know also about like the spirit of sakara and this deeper meaning and and mission and can help, you know, so that it's not just Danielle and I as the culture carriers, but each of these team members is so important and so helpful.
2: How do you keep the culture alive over Zoom and working remotely? Because you have even before COVID, you had multiple offices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we were using
0: Zoom before uh, the pandemic hit. So once you know, once the pandemic hit and we closed our offices, we were just, it was like steady state. We didn't miss a beat. Everybody just went virtual and it was totally fine. Keeping the culture, it's a challenge. We do a lot of different things. So Danielle and I host lunch with DW. We invite a group of people from different teams in the company to come together. We have lunch. We talk about Our most recent Sakara Life podcast episode and the guest, and what we learned from that. We do Sakara Day events quarterly, which are days where we bring in somebody to do a fireside chat. We do a team brainstorm session. We do some sort of fun activity, things that keep that kind of spirit of learning and culture alive. We do for the holidays, we celebrate people's wins. I don't know; it, it's something that we are always thinking about and evolving and and learning. What have you guys seen in companies? You're talking to a lot of people.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think that you're definitely leading the pack. I think a lot of companies aren't really doing very much for us. Uh, We do a lot of similar things, although I just learned a few things that we should do. We also created these fun little cards that we use uh, on team meetings. (laughs) We rebrand them for companies. So if you want some, let us know. Uh, And we use them to just engage over, over Zoom. And then, you know, the regular Zoom meetings where we bring everyone together, share learnings. That's so, so important. But just based on what you're saying, I actually haven't heard anyone answer that question the way that you have. So I think that you're really leading the way in how to engage over over Zoom and, and remotely. Today, we
0: had our company-wide team dashboard meeting. We had different people present from different areas of the business. And then at the end, we had gratitude circle breakout sessions. So broken out into smaller groups where we talked about what are we grateful for right now going into Thanksgiving and the holiday season, you know, just thinking about all the different things that we're grateful for. We also have a gratitude Slack channel Mm. where people on a daily basis drop in something, you know, could be super small. There's lots of pictures of sunsets in that channel to something bigger. Um, Ed who works in one of our kitchen warehouses was sharing a story about his mom and how grateful he is that she encouraged him to have a passion for travel and has visited over a hundred countries. So, you know, it's a great way to share that energy of gratitude and also learn about each other as a team
1: and build that connection. I love that. And that just reminded me, you were the one that told us to start using Slack in business several years ago. And I remember we, I was looking at it on your phone Game and I'm like, changer. And you said that, and I was like, this looks crazy. And we're, you know, we're big Slack users now, obviously. So Courtney, let's add a grateful Slack channel. I think that's a really
0: good idea. Yes. Gratitude Slack channel, but Slack, you know, once you get to a certain size, Slack is absolutely necessary because email will be the death of you if you don't have Slack. I was being CC'd on so many different emails and I just, I couldn't keep up with it. It felt like I was drowning underwater in my email every single day. And so switching over to Slack where I can just go through, I can stay up to date on all the different conversations that are going on within the company, but on my own time and not as a way to see what the important messages are. Slack changed my life. Thank you to Slack. Oh yeah, no, no, we, we love for Slack. Slack. I don't
2: know we, how we would have managed our business in the last year without Slack. And we just switched over like probably a few months before. So that was uh, wow. definitely great time Teams timing. is great
0: too, Microsoft Teams. I haven't tried it, but I hear that people who use it love
2: it. Yeah. For whatever reason, it always crashes my computer. Me too. But, uh, <laughs> well, maybe I need a new Whoa. computer. I'd love to hear more about the dynamic between you and Danielle, you know, starting a business with a friend sometimes works, obviously it worked for me and Stephanie, it worked for you and Danielle. Uh, so what are the tips that you have? And I also hmm. want to share, you know, as someone who's observed how your company has grown, used to do a lot together, or maybe I'm sure you still do a lot together, but you're on this podcast. Danielle is not. How are you dividing? Who does what? So lots of questions Oof, in that one.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that starting a business with a friend, it's the same as starting a business with anybody. It's a relationship and it takes work. It takes trust. It takes communication, just like it's a marriage. I'm sure you two feel like you're in a marriage. Of oh, yeah. sorts. <laughs> and the same way in order to make a marriage successful, you need to put energy into it. It takes practice. We've done a lot of Kind of work on ourselves individually and then together over the years. You know, things like taking Kabbalah classes or yoga meditation, doing life coaching with the Handle group, who it's really intense and they're really just brutally honest with you. And I think, you know, with Danielle, we've been friends for. Over 20 years of our lives. So, more of our lives being friends together than not. And with that, we have been able to develop strong communication skills with each other. I think being able to just text each other at all hours of the day or night and talk about things when it's on your mind in that moment, not wait you know, to say it the right way or, you know, Oh, how is she going to respond to it and hold things in, but just like, Hey, do you know, this is going on? What's that? And, you know, why'd you make that decision? Or I need to fill you in on that. Keeping it really having that closeness makes things fast and flow. And then we have the trust with each other where we know that ultimately we care about each other first and foremost before the business. I want her health and happiness more than anything. I want her to be a complete, whole, happy human before I need her to be a co-founder and co-CEO with me. And so I'd say those are you know, some of the, the big things that make it work for us. We have a really great chief of staff and executive assistant now, and they help us organize a lot where before it was, you know, kind of I'll grab this and she'll grab that. And now things are much more organized and we have time to update each other and reflect on things and brainstorm together. And I think that has allowed us to divide and conquer more, putting systems in place for making decisions separately and for keeping each other informed and updated. What are those systems? So like on Mondays, Monday morning, we walk through our calendars together and we talk about, you know, what is coming up for the week. And if anything is on there that we have thoughts or ideas on, like share them in that moment, like, hey, make sure that you tell the, you know, innovation team, X, Y, Z, make sure you share blah, blah, blah. And then... Update, you know, moments for updates throughout the week where we come together and we talk about, like, hey, how did that meeting go? Did anything come up? You know, here's what's on my mind. And then on Fridays, again, we meet up and we kind of review what happened this week. Was there anything that we need to prioritize for next week? Anything that we need to close out before the week is over? And Oh, and the other thing is our executive assistant. She helps to keep tabs on our to-do list. So we have a Slack channel, hashtag to-do. And so anything that's like, oh my gosh, I need to remember to respond to that person or I need, you know, like just so many of those things come into my mind throughout the day. And that's kind of a catch-all of where they go so that I can get back to them later. And if I don't get back to them, that my assistant can kind of, poke me once or twice or maybe more times in order to (laughs) to get them scratched off the list. The organization of things really takes a lot of stress off Mm -hmm. knowing that you're not forgetting anything and that it's not just sitting in the back of your brain because I'm a breastfeeding mother and my brain power is not what it used to be. Not the same memory for sure.
1: All right, Whitney, we're going to do a fun little segment. We'd like to do a few rapid fire questions. So the first thing that comes to your mind, are you ready? Okay. I'm scared. If you could learn one new skill right now, what would it be? Uh, I get better at
0: speaking Hebrew with my husband. That's the first thing that comes to mind. (laughs) Where is your happy place? Sedona, where I grew up. What are you currently reading? Uh, Fiber fueled. It's a very sexy book on fiber. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is your the theme song to your life? Theme song to my life. Oh, never thought about that one before. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is a song that I sang to my son Bodhi when he was born, which is that Bob Marley song. I think it's called Three Little Birds, but it's, you know, that don't worry. That a thing. Yes. I love that. Every little little thing thing. is gonna Uh, be all right. right. Yes, I love it. (laughs) You know, it's just trusting in the flow, trusting in the universe. Universe is conspiring in my favor that even when challenges come up, knowing, you know, everything's gonna be all right.
1: So, so important, so true. All right, very important question. What is your favorite Sakar life snack?
0: Ooh. Our metabolism super bars. Have you
2: tried those? I have them right here.
1: No, I keep them by like my hand. The
2: other ones. Yes. I haven't gotten those yet. Oh, Courtney, you need these. I yeah. ordered I did order the powder, uh, I think last year. It was it's good. It's good. Stuff. I
0: I love the powder, but the bars, because sometimes I just don't have time to mix. That's the what powder. the thing I was like, I still have that powder. It was great, but I've like I lost I have the bar is just you just grab it and it's delicious. It keeps your blood sugar stable. And you get all the metabolism boosting benefits. Tastes
2: like chocolate. Yes. We got to get you some I'm sold.
1: I need to order them.
2: (laughs) What's an app on your phone that you can't live without? Slack. I knew
1: you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And finally, what is your hidden talent? Or do you have a hidden talent?
0: Hidden talent? I mean, I think I have lots of hidden talents, but trying to think of one that comes to mind,
2: what are your guys' hidden talents?
1: I I love this. You're putting it back on. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I can, I used to, not anymore. And that's a whole separate story, but I'm really good at online shopping and I can go to a website, (laughs) usually (laughs) Zara and find like 10 things in under five minutes.
1: This really is true. She's (laughs) incredible. And- She's At my go-to, yes. picking things, just- She's done online tutorials for our entire team on how to efficiently <laughs> online shop. This is true. Oh my
0: gosh, that's amazing.
1: <sighs> I love
2: that. My Stephanie, what talent? is yours? Stephanie's a singer. Yeah. She can sing.
1: Really? Yes. I, 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 um, I used to be a, like much better when I was younger and did musical theater, but my real hidden talent that you'd be really surprised, I was a competitive bowler. bowler oh my gosh in middle school so
0: that's incredible I I love this I had no idea I guess when we talk about culture one thing I didn't mention was I lead meditation sessions mindfulness moments we call them twice a week for the team they're just 10 minutes long but I guess that's kind of a hidden talent is leading meditation and they're focused on brain repatterning and manifestation. Mm-hmm. I think that the subconscious mind is really fascinating and really powerful and that we can use it to our benefit by programming it with the things that we want to happen in our life, the things we want to call in so that that part of the brain can just be working for us effortlessly while we go through our day-to-day. So... Meditation and manifestation. I don't know if I love different. it. I <laughs> yes. love
2: it. So we know that you left New York. Was that a COVID move or it was?
0: Well, I think COVID was the thing that got me moving. I'd been talking about getting out of New York for a while, but it's hard to change your life. Yeah. I think everybody knows that. And usually it's something big that happens that gets people to make that change. And so I was six months pregnant and it was, you know, middle of summer, 2020 decided to pack a bag to spend one month in my hometown of Sedona. And once we got there, it was just, we needed to stay. It just felt so right and to have the sunshine and the space and, you know, to be home and to be with my mom. So yeah, we decided to make that home.
1: And what has life been like now you're a new mom and also running a business that also takes a lot of time and energy. How have you been able to adjust to your new role as a mom and continuing to, to run your business?
0: Uh huh. I think support is really important. I feel so blessed and grateful to have the support of my mother who watches Bodhi throughout the day and to be in this Zoom world right now. We'll see how things look once we are more back to office, but for the time being, it's amazing that throughout the day, when I get up, I can go out of the room and and see Bodhi in my in-between moments. And so it feels like it's a nice balance between being just totally engulfed in my work and getting to see my child at the same time. Feel so lucky and blessed to be able to do that. But it's, I mean, it's a lot more work. You have a whole nother thing to think about and care about and shop for. And Courtney, I need your shopping tips for I'll, I'll help how you to shop for him.
1: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Courtney, that's a, you know, because you're ready to start a new business, Court, right? You're a... oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you need yeah, to add another yeah, one. Another, another one.
2: one I like, uh, yeah, I need to finish finish or, you know, figure out what I'm doing with all the businesses I have, but that's another podcast. In in due due time, you're nurturing them. Yes, exactly. What is your favorite way to unwind at the end of the day?
0: I think that's one of the things about being a breastfeeding mother is it really forces me to unwind when it's his bedtime You know, we go through all of the different bedtime routine for him. And then I breastfeed him to go to sleep. And he can tell if I'm thinking about other things, if I have, you know, this busy energy, if my mind is racing, or if I'm trying to answer Slack messages on my phone at the same time, and he won't let me do that. And so I have to really like unplug, wind down. And be present with him and breathe. And my energy shifts his energy and allows him to go to sleep. So, through that, I have to relax and then I'm ready to unwind into my night as well.
1: Is there a mantra or quote that you live your life by?
0: I mean, I think it changes on a regular basis or, you know, different quotes or mantras mean different things to me at different times you know one that danielle and i love is that there are no rules and just kind of expanding your mind to see that many of the confines and constructs were just created by our own mind or the mind of somebody else and that you have the ability to change your mind so maybe you have certain thoughts that you think about yourself every day that keep you in the form of who you are you know your like dr joe dispenza says your personality is your personal reality and if you want to change that reality then you need to change the person who you are and it's often based around your identity and certain things but And like I said before, changing your life is hard, Mm. but bringing awareness to that and to the idea that you can change the rules if you want to has been really powerful in my life. Yeah, just always challenging myself in the way that I think
2: and the way that others think. Is there anything you wish you knew earlier in your career? I mean, I really do think that being
0: naive and not knowing was such a benefit.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't know. What What do you guys
0: answer to that one? I know I keep throwing this back at Amen. you, but I'm just so curious. I mean, I, I
2: think the same way you do. If I was, if I knew how hard this was going to be, I would still be working in America.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but there's, nothing, I, more, I there's nothing more rewarding than doing what, what we have all done. But it's yeah. really hard. But I'm yes. I, like you said, I'm so glad that we didn't know what we know now. We've learned so much over the years and are able to take all of these learnings and and help other women who are starting businesses and can just, help be those cheerleaders and support system and share all of this wisdom and guidance and have conversations like this, you know, every week with incredible women and share these stories. And we wouldn't be doing that court if we were still at American express or other companies, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's definitely
2: rewarding. I was, uh, I was joking, but (laughs) I probably would have not quit my job if I knew how hard it was and that, that is true. And now that I know I'm just used to the hustle and the challenge, Cause I yeah. did it and I don't, I don't know if I could not live a life that didn't challenge me, but if I knew and didn't experience it, I probably wouldn't yeah. have quit.
0: And I think that is something for entrepreneurs and budding entrepreneurs to know. I think that being an entrepreneur looks really sexy and, you know, you get a certain level of recognition for it. And. It looks like beautiful photos on Instagram and things like that, and so much of the other side isn't seen—the side of the stress and pressure of responsibility, of being in charge of people's futures and livelihoods and their families, how they they put food on the table for their family, all of the different challenges and risks that come along. I think you have to you. You have to be a risk taker. You have your like risk profile as an entrepreneur. (laughs) You have to be willing to take a lot of risk. And I think if you're risk adverse, maybe being an entrepreneur isn't right for you. Yeah. And you have to have that grit hustle and can't have the ego that says you're above anything or else that ego is not going to let you do the things that you need to do, get the job done. But you know, I I don't think being an entrepreneur is for everybody, and I think that you can have a really fulfilling, rewarding life working for some really amazing, great companies, ones that align with your values and that you want to be a part of and join a mission and and things like that, and that you can be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. We have lots of entrepreneurs in our, in Sakara who start up and basically run businesses within our business. And it's incredible, but then they have the support of a team and a company around them. So there's lots of different options and opportunities for people and it's finding what suits them and their their personality the best.
1: Absolutely. And we have a lot of conversations with, we call them intrapreneistas, so women who are, doing exactly what you shared you know essentially being an entrepreneurista within an organization and definitely couldn't agree more with with everything that you shared our final question for you and we could sit and chat with you for for hours and hours but no you have to get back to business and your your beautiful little boy what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you
0: hmm i think being an entrepreneurista means having creative ideas and seeing them through to a reality sakara is a sanskrit word that means with form and our interpretation of that is giving form to things that don't have form yet like your thoughts and dreams and goals and ideas and bringing those into reality into this plane something you can touch and feel and share with others and so i think that that's what being an entrepreneur is
1: turning your thoughts into things and your dreams into reality. Definitely cannot agree more. Whitney, thank you so much for sharing your journey and story. And we're so excited to continue to follow everything that you and Danielle are going to continue to accomplish. And thanks for literally changing, changing the world. You're, you're doing it with your work every day. So we're, we're so grateful to, to know you, call you a friend and, continue to see all of the good that you will both continue to create in this world. Where can everyone find you and follow you? And of course, for our listeners who are interested in trying your incredible, yummy food and products, uh, where should they go?
0: Yep, you can find me on Instagram at Whitney Tingle and at Sakara Life, uh, as well as on our website, www.sakara.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A.com.
1: Thank you, Whitney, again. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneista.com and connect with us on Instagram at Entrepreneistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entrepreneurisa.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.